Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. And in this episode, we are going to pick up where we left off with our part two of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. You know, it, it was super fun, and I'm glad to jump back into this. Uh, I think where we left off, Trey, if I'm right, was Steve Rogers and Natasha was discussing the her experience of the Winter Soldier being shot and recovering the this movie's MacGuffin goober um, <laughs> that was the little USB device that that. Okay, let's be honest. How clever was that to hide it behind a stick of gum? Oh, that was going to be my follow-up. I love Steve Rogers. He's a fantastic hero, a personal favorite. Terrible at hiding things. That was so bad. Right? Like, <laughs> like there's an element sometimes, like, you do hide stuff in plain sight. Because, mm-hmm. like, oh, last place they would look. But if somebody's going to go buy a pack of gum, that's got to stick out. Oh, 100%. I just love the idea, like, because... And again, I don't want to get too bogged down on it because movies are all sometimes about suspending your disbelief. But the idea of Steve Rogers opening up the vending machine and looking both ways, making sure nobody sees him, and then like clumsily trying to put that stick behind all those gum and then close it before anybody sees is really funny to me. No, no. No, the the real question is how much does he think that was worth? (laughs) Right? Because you put in money and you do the little thing and you get your pack of of Bubblicious there. And to get that thing to spin to move the next one forward, right? So let's just say it's a dollar a pack. How many slots back was it? Was mm-hmm. that was that? I think it, off the top of my head, I think it was four. So so four dollars is what it was worth to Steve <laughs> for Shield Secrets. Well, for Steve, it seems to run on some type of electricity. So. <laughs> 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 so yeah, like it just, you know, just because I'm just imagining, like it, like my teenage self i see that i'm curious Mm -hmm. and i'm probably buying it till i get it i love the idea of somebody's tuning in to this episode (laughs) the first time and like man these guys really hate winter soldier (laughs) i know right like uh, (sighs) no to reset that stage though this is trey's um well i mean let's be honest kevin feige super fan this was you know his love letter to trey (laughs) uh captain america winter soldier uh no, and I do want to say this. It was interesting. I remember, um, you know, we, we did start with the first pod of uh, talking about our anxiety of covering this um, and how nervous we were. Um, and I think having a conversation with Brent Daniel, uh, I believe he, he said even he, he, he was glad that we actually brought that up uh, up front, you know. Um, but yeah, it's... It is Trey's favorite movie, and we're on page 15 of his 30 notes. So close. Page 18. And so, but this is where we are. For us, structure-wise, act two, this scene, and then we will finish up our thoughts on act two, move into act three, um, and then kind of wrap up. Uh, So, yeah. So, Trey, picking up here, where do you want to start? So, I think the place that I want to start is where I left the call to action in last week's episode, where we said, 
where we basically put down what we wanted people to zone in on if they went and watched The Winter Soldier after listening to the first half of our commentary. And the thing that I said is to pay attention to how much this movie is just as much Natasha's as it is Steve Rogers. And so I think starting here, picking up where we are in the mall where they have gotten their USB, they're using it in the Apple store, and they now have to evade the Hydra agents. It is such a wonderful flip that if Natasha and Steve are opposite ends of a spectrum in a modern world, then Natasha is someone that has completely adapted to this. She knows how to play the game, if you want to put it that way. So... You know, something they mentioned in the the director's commentary is how important it was to take these established heroes and have them playing from their back foot, which I think is the only believable way to sell like, oh, Hydra really does have the upper hand here. So the fact that Steve Rogers is kind of lost and it is up to Natasha to teach him how to navigate this world, I think is such an interesting flip. And it demonstrates a skill set that has only been talked about with Natasha, but we get to really see it in full display here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, what comes to mind, you know, that Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame if you trace Hulk and Banner, that was supposed to be like its own arc. And whether or not you feel like that actually happened with how that character was treated in Endgame, I don't know. Um, you, the listener, the royal you, you know, Entree. Uh, <laughs> but actually, as you bring that up about being just as much Natasha's movie and getting to see that, you kind of get that out of this and even looking ahead to Civil War. What the, you know, you kind of do get a arc here between those two together and and you know i i'm not saying at all that like oh we didn't need her movie because we had an arc if you put all these movies together that's dumb i'm highly glad we got the black widow movie um i think it's documented on our twitter i put that as the best movie or my favorite or best movie of 2021 but i do like that there you do get that feeling of as much as it's captain america's movie there is an arc, you know, uh, which is weird because like thinking back to where we ended in that one scene, I was also, you know, I was the one that said it was like, oh, I would have loved to have seen that moment where Winter Soldier shot her. And that moment is about building up Winter Soldier's mystique, maybe, uh, and, and really doesn't flesh out Natasha as much because we don't see it later. But you do get to see her shift of spy and what that was in Avengers. We see her here and what that role is, the relationship that develops with Steve Rogers, how that relationship gets complicated in Civil War, because I'm friends with Steve Rogers, I'm checking in with Steve, but I ideologically agree with Tony, and then I don't. And so you actually get a nice little storyline for Natasha through those two movies. Yeah. And and even within this movie itself, like think about where we are at this point. We have just lost Nick Fury. Uh, we talked so much about how even though he technically got away, he lost everything in that that scene with the Winter Soldier. So if again, if everything is about putting these heroes on their back foot, I love that line when she's has the USB in the, the MacBook and she's going through it and she's like, yeah, the person who encrypted this drive is slightly smarter than me slightly like i like that that feeling of like oh this is the start of our path towards 
good. Like we we're on our way and they do such a great job of establishing it here, especially with the way like, I mean, it was just the tension of the scene of like Steve Rogers is nervous. When does Steve Rogers get that nervous yeah. where he's constantly looking over his shoulder and Natasha plays it cool while you have all the different Hydra agents coming in from the top of the the escalator to different floors? It's just, it's so tense. Yeah. Well, and, and it, again, like you said, all the tactics, uh, you know, Rogers, okay, standard this, you know, the, I, I don't remember the full line, but like talking about like the formation, right? The standard two in the front, back, this is what we're going to do. And she's like, just no relax we're gonna do this um you know and it is it, this this interesting example of the the different sets of training the different sets of reaction you know to that to the that situation and the stress yeah it, it it's i i liked having the contrast there and the way it leads into that moment when they're escaping in the truck because after we see that okay natasha's kind of got the lead here they have a very vulnerable conversation in, and again, in that idea of there are two sides of a spectrum. You know, N- Natasha is adapted to this world, but in a way that leaves it so that she never gets to show a true side of herself because she is always constantly changing to what it is that she needs to stay safe. Whereas Rogers, you know, his, I mean, he is honesty. Like that is what he wants to live. That is how his ideal world and what he expects of others is to constantly be their honest self. So it, it puts us in a situation where like, okay, who is the quote unquote right one? But I think it is getting us to this point where we see there is a happy medium between them. And I think there is a way for Natasha to be a little bit more true to herself without sacrificing the ways and uh, that she's adapted and the skills she's just picked up. Just as much as there is a way for Steve Rogers to not be that rigid, you know, always have to be honest and fit into this more modern world. Well, and you have that. Okay, so two two things come to mind. So you you have the the interaction in the truck, right? I love the callback to the old Captain America movie with the whole you know when did Captain America learn to steal a truck? <laughs> uh, you know, because they had Cap hotwire truck and in the, the older version uh and when i mean older version like was it 70s 80s the one with the motorcycle helmet yes <laughs> uh, i never saw that yeah neither did i uh so um i vaguely remember the hulk on television uh but in that scene it's interesting because rogers is forcing natasha to be natasha you know, put it another way, it's like, oh, who, you know, I can be whoever you want me to be. Like, that's the fun, you, you know, or or I, how I can protect myself from getting hurt. And he's like forcing her into this this authenticity. And she's forcing him into this, like, dude, relax <laughs> kind, kind of thing. Um, so I really liked that scene. Now. The question I have, and I, and again, I I talked about this. It's really weird because I, I I do love this movie, and and listening back to last week's pod, I was like, okay, am I coming across as too negative? Uh, I don't want to come across as too negative because it's such a good movie. People love this movie, and and so that's why I keep framing it of like, where's the evolution of my thought and thinking about what are the things that stood out and wondering why did it stand out this time versus last time? The first watch. When they did that scene of like, you know, kiss me, public displays make make people uncomfortable. He's like, yes, it does. And they, 
I wonder to what extent that was necessary. You know what I mean? Like in writing and making that choice. Because that was like a gateway to, hey, I want to ask you this question. Is that the first time? Was it that bad? No. And so you get into that really good conversation, right? That was meaningful and good for those characters. But there was an element of like, they're not dating. We know they're not dating. Is that, what, outside of Tony and Pepper, maybe the only on-screen kiss we'd seen? Jane Foster and Thor? Off the top, uh, Gamora? Up to that, up, up, up to that point? Well, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy would have been after that, yeah. You know, like, it, yeah, it's so, it's so like, it, it, it made me wonder, for some reason watching it this time, you know, that popped into my head. I was like, okay, was that necessary? Did that help push the story along? Or was it just kind of, we have these two characters, and so let's do that? You know, and I don't know why this time watching it, that kind of popped in my head. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe because of the pod. Maybe because I put myself in such a position of thinking about the intentionality of choices they make in the writing room. You know. Well, yeah, well, we've talked about it plenty of times before, where the way we view things for the podcast is not the way we view things when we view it for ourselves, and we sometimes find ourselves into that position where we start to be like, "Man, are we just being overly critical?" But I think as long as we keep a healthy lens of like trying to pick at what it is that it's sticking out to us, I think it's you know. It's hopefully not too negative from the audience's perspective, but that's never our intention. Yeah. But to circle back to the question at hand within the movie, you know, I listen again, listening to the director's commentary, they brought it up in that they debated that for so long and they were very cognizant of like they needed to have meaning in it. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, you're doing it for romantic tension sake. And I'm cleaning it up a little bit for the podcast. And so... I get that they had the right intentions, but they end on ah, plus of kiss is always fun. And it's like one step forward and two steps back in the, the intentionality of it. Right. I think it, it kind of works because again, it is demonstrating that like, I mean, that is part of Natasha's skill set, right? The, I don't think social engineering is the right term for it, but it's kind of that, that feeling of like, okay, these, this is how people work. This is how we're going to make them uncomfortable so that we can stay hidden. Um, but I, I can understand why it's something that stands out to you as well. Yeah, no, like skill set wise, that's a hundred percent I think believable in, in this situation this is what you do, because we're gonna play into, like you said, people's uncomfortability, right? And so like it, it it wasn't that far of a stretch to say, oh, this was being forced into it. Um I just find it interesting of like my what the things that pop up in my head. Um you know, in in terms of now versus then. So, yeah. You know, moving along after that conversation that they have in the truck, uh, we, you know, we detailed the vulnerability that it puts them in. And you, you really get a, an illustration of where these two characters are at within this theme of trust and, and friendship that the movie is is wrestling with. Man, when they get to Camp Lehigh, it is just it is so narratively rich that he has to go back to the place that it all started for Captain America. Like if the whole idea is divorcing Steve Rogers from just the mantle to really be able to come back to it and wield it in a way that feels more meaningful to him, going back to that start and that being the place where we learn, hey, S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't what we thought it was. It is actually Hydra uh, that has been growing under secret for so long. It just, it, it's it's a great turning point for this film and it works in tandem if you go back to that scene where he's consulting with Peggy. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about like, 
I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what it is that I stood for. And she's like, oh, you're being dramatic. Sometimes the only thing we can do is start over. And it's just, it's an echo of that conversation and putting it to practice in here. And the fact that they literally have to delve deeper. I mean, what better demonstration of the story circle than getting to the bottom of this uh, secret base? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, two things. A, and the whole start over, well, let's go back and destroy this base. And, oh, by the way, we're going to take all, out all the shield, right? Let, we're really going down to base, uh, to base level start over. So, yeah, like there. So you, you mentioned that the story circle. Would you say this is the belly of the beast? I would think so. Okay. Yeah, because you, I mean, if, if you start from a place of comfortability that you want something and then you go out and find it, you find it, but it's not what you're looking for. He found what it is that he was looking for the people the behind all of this but finding out it was shield is the act that will propel us through the return journey having changed mhm mhm okay. at least that is my my read of the story circle to this particular moment yeah no 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 yeah right it, it, that's cuz like i'm trying to think it was like is it that is it when the elevator scene like and, and, and also I say the other season, because I'm thinking, well, Fury died. You don't have Fury. You don't know who to trust. You're not sure about Natasha. Like, is that the moment? Um, but I think you're right. I think this is where it's at. You know, and I, I don't think I've ever really articulated how much I love that it is Hydra. That is the culprit. Because if, again, everything is operating in this paranoia. And this idea of truth and, and security and, you know, what are you willing to give up for protection? The idea that it is Hydra that is coming back to be responsible for this really illustrates the horrors of how hard it is to stop an ideology. And that's summed up in Hydra with the, you know, cut off one head and two more shall take its place. The fact that Steve now has to wrestle with, I gave my life to this. I thought I stopped this and it is back. Like what more than to drive our character further into that paranoia than to realize what he gave his life for actually didn't stop it. You know, speaking of ideology, like the, the whole, you know, and when we talked about this a little bit with fury and I think it was Nick Sandy that said we were kind of harsh. Um, yeah. and, and I, <laughs> but I mentioned, you know, fury's, ideology isn't much different from Pierce's, which is Hydra. And, you know, and there's this interesting commentary there of, yeah, this is still here, right? Like I've sacrificed and this ideology lives. And that, that is the thing about ideologies, right? Like, like those are really, really, if you find a particular ideology that is worth dying for, right? Sacrificing yourself for, the idea that like that the ideology goes away because it's it's not a person um it's just false like you know it's 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 you know it makes sense that it's going to creep back up in in some way and to have now that manifestation in shield you know and i mean you carry it forward right like that was the reason why he didn't want to sign the covia accords i've seen this happen Twice, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, of uh, you know, and and so, so yeah, I, I do find that really fascinating, and and what would and psychologically what that might have meant for him, and again, timing you can't explore that, but to say yeah, like I, you know, not only self sacrifice, like crap, I had to come back, 
you know, to find this out and miss out on however many years and, and I'm now 90, you know, you know and, and we're still fighting the same things. I mean, what a heartbreak to, yeah. to come back and have to wrestle with. I don't know who I am in this new world and then learn even who I was in the old world didn't matter. Like, this is a hard blow. Yeah, a really hard blow. I mean, he handled it well. <laughs> of course he did. He's Captain America. Right? So, like, like in that sense, so I don't want to seem like, oh, am I making it too big a deal about it? You know, but but I and, and I think I don't think I am. I don't think we are because that's you know, I think the Russo brothers are trying to 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 trade in these big ideas, you know, and to play in that space. You know, and and you're right. This this ideology that's just for me, I don't see much different. You know, um, and so let me put it this way: the the line from Zola was Hydra was found on the belief that humanity could not be trusted with its own freedom. Okay. Hydra learned that humanity needed to surrender its freedom willingly. My next note is he's not wrong. Like that's like, he's right. You know what I mean? It's, 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 I mean, when you think about, and that was my call to action is like, okay, when you watch this, think about some philosophical things that came up, you know, and think about what project insight is going to do that if you watch a documentary like that, well, the two that come to mind, the social dilemma and terms and conditions may apply, you know, what are all those little fine print things that none of us read and we just sign away um, for convenience, you know, and, and what is the, the data being used for and being sold for, you know, and I mean, the number of times where, I go home to, you know, and the, the few times that we get to be together, right? Next thing you know, like my Facebook ads, if I'm looking on Facebook or whatever, is going to be local to back home where I grew up and visiting you. And then it takes a, a couple of times for my phone GPS tracker locator to reorient. And now I'm getting local stuff again. Uh, actually, a guy I work with goes overseas a lot over the summer. And, you know, he comes back for school and he's like, I'm still getting these ads for, you know, stuff from Europe. And we willingly do that, you know? And, and so in that sense, I, I find it fascinating that ideologically like Hydra evolved to the point where they're right. Like we need to willingly give it over. And I mean, their big misstep was that they were going to kill everybody. You know what I mean? You know, I'm going to respond to that, but I want to pivot to a scene that's still within Act 2, but I think it's a little bit more relevant to what we're talking about, and that is after they have captured Jasper Sitwell, and he is laying out the exposition of what it is Hydra's plan truly is. And to circle back to what you were talking about as far as the algorithm goes and those documentaries that you were mentioning, at least from my understanding of how algorithms work, because everybody's always like, oh, our phones are listening to us. That's how they know to service this ad or that ad. But the more horrifying thing is they don't need to listen. Like they can base off GPS, the proximity oh, yeah. of other phones that you're connected with. It makes these educated guesses based on the behavior that you have inputted into the device. And that is not any different than what Jasper Sitwell says is the plan with Project Insight. It was a book that they were reading to target people that they perceived as threats. And if we're on that limb of how our thoughts have changed upon just when we watch this, it is kind of even more horrifying to me that I think there is a broader understanding of how this works 
But I don't think people have the same fear that is depicted in this scene in 2014 that we thought it oh, would have had. No, not at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. Because well, we have it, willingly gave it up. Well, and that's that's why I say the 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 big mistake Hydra was was like, oh, we're just gonna go, you know, put these guns in the air and shoot you. It's like no, no, like the you, the amount of information you have, you know, when you think about the ability to misinform and cater what gets in front of people's faces and 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 those types of things, like. And, and you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if the Russo brothers and the writers were aware of this, but you know, you need your big action sequence and you're not going to be like, oh man, they're going to manipulate us. I will blow up their building. You know, like, no, that doesn't work. No, oh, you're going to, you know what I mean? Uh, so I don't, I wonder how much actually they were aware of this in terms of like in the writing. Cause that's. <sighs> It's scary. It's very scary. In fact, you, you've convinced me this is going to be my last episode. I'm going to go off the grid. Um, yesterday? Well, it needs to be done by yesterday. It might take me, you know, 24 times however many days to get to the end of the school year, that many hours. If I'm going to Nick Fury it, I got to subtract at least half that time because <laughs> that's a reasonable thing to do. <sighs> And you questioned why Nick Sandy thought we were being harsh on Nick Fury. (laughs) (laughs) And for the record, those who don't know, Nick Sandy texted in just telling me like, man, y'all tore him to shreds. (laughs) Listen, I I didn't realize it was going to be two parts at the time. So I promise I'm going to do my best to repair the image that I have left after last week's episode. Yes. uh, Yes. (laughs) But, you know, you you brought up uh, what was on the director's mind. Again, not to keep beating this drum, but it's one of the first times I've listened to the director's commentary for a movie. Uh, That is something that they were talking about, that even though it is a superhero film and you can only go so far, it was something that they were keeping in mind because that's how they wanted to differentiate it. They wanted to imbue these real world ideas that they had into this superhero film. And, you know, I've talked about it before. That's the thing that I love about... uh, comic book movies is that it is dealing in extremes uh although the scary part is how less and less it seems like it's becoming extreme but for the most part they are dealing in taking things to the absolute maximum potential of what that fear is so that's what's that's the superhero language um but circling back to the moment in Captain Lehigh where they're discussing with Zola, one of the things that the commentary ended up informing me about that scene in a way that I haven't thought about it before is so often throughout, even past the MCU, but throughout all Captain America stories, he is brought back to comment at the times at hand. And this was their chance to really have Captain America make a stance of where we were heading with social media and these algorithms and the security that we are striving for in in and what we're giving up to get to that point so this was their their way of dealing with that and what makes zola so brilliant in that scene is how he is able to dump all of that information onto us because it's a huge amount of information that they're giving to us in a moment but dump it in a way that doesn't break the realism of the film because we are playing by the 
uh, the what we've already bought into in the superhero world. Like, it's not that big of a stretch to have somebody implant their mind into a computer and to have that bridge of the past with technology being the thing to break the news for Steve Rogers is, again, what continues to make this so brilliant. Steve Rogers is the ultimate get off my lawn guy. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to go further. I think you just unpacked it all. That's what Steve Rogers is. Get off my lawn. Nick Sandy. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but no, you're, you're right. Like, there is that interesting dynamic of tech and Rogers, you know, and, and you, made, you made the joke earlier about... You know, it seems to be working on some kind of electricity, you know, and, uh, and, and the stuff he's catching up on. But, like, I don't – until, you know, to hear you speak about it and think about where we're at with social media, if you think about when he went into the ice and where we're at technologically, like, the gradual advances that in my lifetime I got to experience that he had a rush coming out to them, like – uh, so so think about this this way the movie was made in 2014 14 and he makes the comment the internet ah so helpful <laughs> the internet in 2014 is unbelievably different than the internet in the mid to late 90s when i was in high school or early 2000s in college you, you know what i mean and like that rush and that level of technology you know, I, I, yeah, I, I would definitely see him as be like, get off my lawn. Like, this is not how we do things. You know, this isn't it. Well, if it makes to put it into context, I was, I was Googling this in 2014, there's no TikTok. Instagram has only been around for four years. And if you think about how gradually Instagram has changed in features just within the last year, four years is an eternity. And I, I wanted to Google some more examples, but you're right. I mean, the, the way that the internet is constantly evolving you know, I've mentioned this book before on the podcast, and I've yet to finish it, but I, I need to. Uh, it was a book called A Present Shock, and essentially dealing with how us today are dealing with the immediacy of just constantly being in tune with everything and everyone and news all the time, and how that has just changed the way that we think as a, as a species. I can't imagine what that is like for Steve Rogers, who woke up in this and is already having to deal with the present shock on top of the present shock that modern people are dealing with as well. Oh yeah. It's insane. So I want to change gears just a little bit, but I'm not ready to leave this scene. Uh, and again, it, for me, it is that, I don't, I don't know why I found myself in this space of like, Oh, this time what popped up and, and what I didn't last time for me, I thought this scene with Zola would brought up a really interesting philosophical question. Uh, I kind of laugh because I feel like it's silly now. Um, but it, it, this whole idea of personal identity and the body and the mind. Yeah. I mean, Zola downloaded his mind or himself to a computer. Okay. Technically speaking, that's probably slower than my iPhone. <laughs> um, when you look at what's in the room, um, just, just saying, you know, like, like, Technically speaking, like a Siri could probably take you, but but it does bring up a, to me it was an interesting philosophical thing of like okay wait a minute, what is the MCU? And I don't know. And from the from the from the director's commentary, I don't think they were trying to do this, but this is just the way I think about things and things that interest me. What is the MCU trying to say about who we are? 
and what it means um, to to be us in this mind body problem. You know, because here you're clearly like they want you to say this is Zola. This isn't. You know, I, I'm not talking to a computer that is plugged into a wall that has electricity running to it, that's running an algorithm that is making guesses as to what Zola would think and say based off of downloaded past memories and content. You know what I mean? For content, for lack of a better term. They want you to think that this is Zola, right? Because what Zola did was a conscious choice. I'm stalling. I'm, you know, the, the missile coming at them, you know, to the idea to think I'm going to stall you so the missile can come and I can launch the missile, um, alert Hydra to, to be here. Like that is all creative, active thought, if, if that makes sense. Um, and maybe, you know, people are going to disagree with me and that's fine. But what I mean by this creative, active thought is... You know, otherwise it's an algorithm that's making these assumptions based off of this content or data that was downloaded from the person Arnold, you know, um, Armin Zola. And so I, I just found that fascinating here, the com the, the commentary it was making, you know, especially because like the general line is what we don't get into any kind of spiritual or mystical stuff till Doctor Strange. And you have those really cool scenes where, you know, um, and we've seen it in multiple movies now, you know, thinking um, Endgame and Doctor Strange, where it was like Doctor Strange gets pushed out of his body and there's clearly a separation. Well, like the first instance we get of that actually is right here. Well, we can actually go all the way back to Jarvis and what is Jarvis. Uh, but it's just fascinating to me of like, of like, what is that? What, what are they, you know, what is that idea? What are they putting out? You know, are we more body than mind? Are we more mind than body? Is, is it, well, I would argue that the, for the MCU, it is not a, I don't know the right word I'm looking for, but it's, it's not a combining of the two. They can clearly be separated. Um, and that was something that I just, this time around, I was like, oh, I just, I got just, you know, just sucked down that hole of like, oh, I got to, you know, this is fascinating to me. Um, so, yeah. So, like, that was, I don't know why, like, that was, that was something that, that, and we, and we've dealt with this as you people, <laughs> you know, we have at, we've had the movie Avatar. We've had. We've had the Matrix, right? We've had the Matrix come back again and resurrect because that was a good idea. Um, you know, we had the the previous movie with Keanu Reeves before the Matrix that made people actually back in 99, if people don't remember, was nervous about, oh, great, another Keanu Reeves computer movie because uh, he was in Johnny Mnemonic where the whole idea was like, I'm going to erase the, the mind and it's like a hard drive, right? Um, kind of thing. And there was a John Cusack movie, I don't remember the name of it, where he put his memories into a computer so we could live on. So like, we've dealt with this a lot, you know, and like as humanity, we're, we're curious about this. Um, and, and so like, I don't know why and that just stuck out to me this time of winter soldier of just like, Oh, like 
what is that interaction happening right here? And what, what is the MCU saying about us and, and people uh, saying that that is, you know, acknowledging that that's possible? You know, that's not a lens that I had brought to this scene, but hearing you talk about it just makes me want to pair it with, again, with that Jasper Sitwell scene where he's explaining what it is they are intending to do with the algorithm and making these educated guesses. And the basis for why they think they can do this is how willingly people put up that information to be read like a book. Again, if superhero movies are dealing in extremes, Zola has literally put his life into a computer, which is the exact same argument that Hydra's making mm-hmm. about what we do in our relationship yeah. to the internet. And, and so it's like, it makes me want to rewatch it now that you have provoked this thought because, yeah, I think that's a very interesting thing to uh, to observe. Yeah, like, I mean, oh my gosh, this, you're right. It, it, you're treading the line of, and I'm, and I know this has been kind of a running gag, right? Where I poke at you and I'm not trying to do that here. Like this is, you're, you're running the line now of like, what is real and what are the possibilities, you know, and, and you've established that, no, we can separate the two in this universe and, you know, clearly have a thinking conscience, if, if that makes sense. Um, so be on the lookout. Tony Stark's coming back. Downloaded conscience. I don't know. <laughs> well, if we leave the writing up to people in the subreddits, <laughs> I think he'll be back sooner than we think. <laughs> I've seen so many fan theories about that happening. <laughs> I do not want him back. I will just say that. But yeah. I'm so glad we got that on the record. <laughs> hey, I want his death to mean something, you know, and... uh Okay, Ironheart, if he comes back with a little, you know, his voice for the, for the, you know, the Jarvis voice, that would be neat. And I think mentally I can make the separation of like, that's not Stark, you know, and that would be a really cool role to keep him involved in that sense. But beyond that, no, don't, (laughs) you know, let's move on. Let him rest. Yeah. Well, moving back to the Winter Soldier uh, I'm going to move us along to, I think, one of the most important scenes here, and that is after Steve and Natasha have escaped Camp Lehigh, uh, they are looking for a place to shelter, and it is the one and only Sam Wilson, who we talked about last week, was established as somebody that could be trusted. You know, a- as important as Sam is to this moment, the place I want to stop first is that conversation between Steve and and Natasha. And the reason why is we already talked about it a bit with the conversation in the truck. Uh, For me, this conversation is the inverse of that moment. Um, We have gotten to the point of the film where everything Steve thought he knew was a lie. And at this point, it should be, his world is flipped upside down. He should be at wit's end. And yet, Natasha points out, you seem pretty chipper for somebody who just found out everything is fake. And he has the line, I guess I just like to know who I'm fighting. Mm -hmm. If that is not like a a fantastic Steve Rogers moment, I, I don't know what is. And the thing that makes it beautiful is that whereas in that truck scene, Natasha was the one that was cool and collected. It is now here Steve having to mentor her through this realization of... I thought I was operating under the orders of somebody I could trust, and now I no longer can. What does that say about me when I thought I was giving my life for something good? And so it just it feels like a beautiful inverse in closing what it is we started 
after they they started escaping from the hospital. Yeah. No, you're right. Like I don't, I don't know. Hmm, I I don't know if I ever saw it that way. I in, as a, as an inverse. Um, like like my impression of that scene is is Natasha realizing. You know, like like we we've seen her throughout this film and some of these conversations being guarded and and seeing her open up here and realize like here's the things I did care about and mean something to me and now that is gone. Um but the idea that it's an inverse of what we see from Steve, I didn't it didn't click uh for me. Uh so that's yeah, that's fantastic. Um Oh, thank you know, you. and 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 I love the answer of of Rogers of like I just want to know who to fight, um, you know, which is which I think shows kind of that I just for fun I want to because I want to say it it shows that get off my lawn <laughs> thing, um, and and what I mean by that is like it oversimplifies the past to say this, but I'm but but I think we. We we look at the past sometimes in this light, uh, fairly or unfairly, but this idea of like oh back when you know Steve was going to World War Two and this it was so clear cut and you knew who you were fighting and this was good and this is bad and now everything's so jumbled you know and and so it is one of those like like almost all, that line is also like it just you know I, I just want things to be simple again I I just Tell me who to fight, you know, uh, because you had a face, you had a name, you had something tangible. Um, now, I realize that is oversimplifying what what it was like to live during that time. You know what I mean? But like, that's kind of what I got out of that line. Just to say, I just I just need to know who to punch, and not in a sense of like, oh, just the Hawkeye, I'm a weapon, point me, or this like brainless meathead, just tell me who to punch. But like, like it was almost just this sigh of, uh, of frustration, you, you know, uh, the sigh of frustration and being exhausted in, in that comment. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't think you're doing this like intentionally, but I think there is when you talk about like, Oh, just tell me who to punch. Like, I feel like that's a little bit reductive of the moment because the line is, I just like to know who to fight. I think the thing that's missing from that line is it's almost like what to fight for. Like, this is the ideal I have now. This is something concrete. There is no obfuscation. I can play to the values that I have set and it's clearer to me now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what that line speaks out to me. It's not not so much just like, oh, great, I know, I know who to beat up now. It is I have a clearer understanding of, of the values that I, I want to adhere to and how to apply it to this world that I find myself in. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think you probably put it in a better, more elegant way than I did. <laughs> Listen... We established last episode. I'm all for that male beating the chest bravado because I did love that scene where he said, I thought you were more than a shield and he owned up to the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, I wasn't trying to come across that, but I, I was just, again, we've, we've tried, we've talked about and we keep going back to this like, man, what was it like to, and again, that just shows how into the movie we are that we're thinking in these terms of like, man, what was it like to be thrust into this? And you were in ice and, and, and all of that, you know, to be thinking of that. And so like being in that headspace 
I think is part of where I'm looking at of just like, oh, just please tell me who to fight. Like, like, like <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because it, it's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's not that I was trying to be reductive. It was, it was just this kind of like, like, okay, just tell me what to do. Uh, this is my skill set. Let me go use it. You, you know, um, and, and so I feel like it was a moment of frustration, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things I, I highlighted coming into this scene was the importance of Sam. And I'm going to try and thread this carefully because I don't want it to be like, oh, you know, Sam's not his own character because he definitely is. But if we are going through this moment with Steve of re-establishing who it is and how he wants to use that mantle. I mean, it is what I've talked about. It's that inspiration to others to do the right thing. Uh, we just talked about what that is for for Natasha as he's helping her see like, hey, maybe there is times where you can, can be true to who you are without feeling like you have to deceive to fit into this world. And on that same token... I mean, he doesn't even have to go through that transformation because this is just who he is. Sam is willing to go and fight alongside Captain America because it is aligned with his ideals as well. And I like the speed at which he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was I was out of this, but Captain America needs my help. Of course, I'm going to jump back in. And so I think this moment, it, it, it starts to reclaim the light or the beacon of hope that I think the 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 shield mantle becomes in wanting to inspire other people to do the right thing. I like that beacon of hope line you just said line that's not like as if it's scripted like the the beacon of hope have you seen my notes (laughs) there's 30 pages uh (laughs) so but no like i i do i like that 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 beacon of hope you know because there isn't that moment of like no you got out i can't ask you to do this and he's like look when captain america is asking me it is so weird like i i can read that scene very cynically if i wanted to and, and different stuff but like i think what it shows about sam's character is is his and and we see this throughout Sam if you decide to track him or just watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But he has such a strong sense of duty and obligation and that sense of doing what's right that it's like when, when he says that and sees this in, in Captain America of like, Captain America needs my help, you know, and so I am obligated. I have a duty to render that assistance because I'm capable, you know, and and so I, I love the the you know it, it's not just a corny line you know it, it truly gives an insight into to sam's character and not character like like virtue like his character virtue yeah his ideals yeah and think about what we established in the the first part of our commentary at the in the beginning when they they first meet there is genuine connection that they have found between each other and it is because of the the shared experiences, but also the honesty with w- between each other. And if you fast forward a little bit to the line where Steve tells Nick Fury, you know, soldiers trust each other. That's what makes it an army. That This is that payoff. This is their quote-unquote small army, but it is because now they trust each other and they can work together in tandem because there is goodwill bought between servicing those friendships. Yeah. Well, and notice, like, there is a buildup too, right? You know, it... Uh... Okay, Bishop. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, it just, what I, my thought was there was a buildup of when Sam joins and there's this trust, he's not thrown into the big final scene, right? 
you have him work with the capturing the the senator. You have Jasper Sitwell. Uh, yeah, Sitwell. I'm sorry, the the, the scene of senator, but but capturing Jasper Sitwell, like, and then the car chase scene, and then like, so he has a gradual build up until the final action sequence. We don't just he's just not jumped right into it. Um, and again, my my critique of of the Hawkeye that last scene where Kate fought. Be careful here, big bad. I'll put it that way, just in case. Um, where I it felt like too much, too quick, you know, in that gradual leveling up of what we've seen her do. Um, whereas here, there there is that trust, but but we're still mid mid ish movie, right? And there is okay, we're you know, let's integrate Sam into this team, and it's not just okay, go and yes, now you know what I mean. Um, and so that that is something I do appreciate of this. Uh, oh, and maybe it's just so well paced. Uh, again, it's the Russo brothers. Like that shouldn't be a surprise that it was well paced. <laughs> it's hard to believe this is their first film in the MCU. Like, right? It's just so good right off the bat. I read I read something recently that they almost quit during Civil War. Yeah, because of creative differences. And like imagining what that would be differently. I, I, it's a horror story. Man, if there is a multi, if there's a multiverse where that happens, I'm glad I'm not in that one. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, you, you alluded to it a little bit, but I think the last remaining thing we really need to talk about here in this act two section is the highway scene. Uh, so to set the stage, this is the moment after they had gotten Jasper Sitwell to talk. Uh, they are driving down the highway and the Winter Soldier intervenes and murders Jasper Sitwell, which kicks off a series of events that concludes with Steve, Natasha and Sam being apprehended by Hydra slash shield agents. So, you know, I already talked a little bit about it, how it's it's, you know, the beacon of hope. This is the reclaiming of that mantle. Um this really feels like our team firing on all cylinders together and having found a way to do it that is not relying on the compartmentalization that Nick Fury was uh, putting forth at the beginning of the movie. This this is founded truly on trust. And I like how it stretches the limits of trust by splitting these people up. Like you have them together and then eventually Natasha gets on the run. Steve gets taken out through the bus and Sam is left up alone providing cover on the top. But because this team has gelled, they are able to fight through this scene together and make it out um, almost in one piece. Uh, there, There's some some wounds here and there, but it's just it's narratively working on, on a, a great level for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what? What better test for this team than the Winter Soldier himself? And again, if so much of this movie is Steve figuring out who he is, the test that they give him to bring back his past in this form of of Bucky, which he doesn't know it at this point quite yet, but we uh, in subsequent views know it's just it's the past is literally coming back to fight him. And if the question for him is, can he save the ideals of his past in this modern setting? That is the problem of Bucky in a nutshell. Can he save the past 
in this modern setting. And that's the problem of Bucky in a nutshell, man. Last pod, I was, I was, I said it jokingly, but I could just sit here and listen to you go. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really could. Um, thank you. And you know, just to hammer it home a little bit more. I mean, the reason that I got to that level of thinking is it, something my dad has always taught me and I'm sure he's picked it from somewhere else. But if you want to have a surefire way of demonstrating you've learned something, you teach it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of Steve having learned the this journey that he's been on up to this point and now is being tasked with, can I save Bucky? Can I teach him the things that I have learned up to this point? I think it just makes it such a dr dramatically rich um, section that we're dealing with in, and you see it in the way that the fights are taking place. Um, because I mentioned in last week's first part of Captain America stories working at their highest potential whenever they're treating the shield as its own character, the first time they had their confrontation, Bucky catches the shield and throws it back because Steve wasn't ready for it. Now, that shield is switching places back and forth between Steve and Bucky, and it doesn't matter because it is Steve who is sure of what his ideals are, and I think he is more than equipped to handle this until the revelation of, oh, this is Bucky. Well, it's interesting because we, we've talked about this in terms of violence, right? And the, the, the beginning at the Lumium's Lumarian star, is that right? Yeah. It sounds very Nova Prime, Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyways, um, now, now that I say that, <laughs> but like, no, we talked about the violence and like the, the, why that scene is forgiving, why did we see the opening scene of Falcon and Winter Soldier differently? Are you facing somebody name faceless and nameless? And here, this is the moment where, like, you're faced with Bucky. You know, like, it, like it has a face. The enemy now has a face. And or let's put it this way: Cap got what he wanted. I know who to fight. The Winter Soldier. Damn, it's my best friend. Like, yeah. you know, and <laughs> and, and, and and so. And so in, in that sense and in that, in that reveal, you know, it's that I find fascinating, you know, of like, it's the simplicity. I know who to fight now, but oh, this is there. Um, now I love the sequence and the way they got to that point, you know, cause it was so, again, the brilliance of the Russo brothers with the close camera that in tight, you know, quick actions, um, it just felt so personal, if, if that makes sense. And then when you had that reveal and, and Rogers realizes who he was going so hard against, you know, that I think, I think that's the other thing that made it that moment. So impactful is how they, the, the physical confrontation that, that and confrontations are putting it very mildly of, <laughs> of their fight there. You know, I mean, he, they were going down the highway, like at probably, I'm guessing 70 miles an hour in theory. Um, and Winter Soldier just like rips the guy out of the car. Should have been wearing a seatbelt. Hey, safety. <laughs> um, you know, our grandmother used to not wear her seatbelt, right? I know. Because it wrinkled her clothes. It, oh, I thought you meant even older than that. I didn't know that. No. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> 
yeah, she didn't because it would wrinkle her clothes. We're talking about a woman who ironed her money because she wanted to be crisp. Okay. Yeah, she used to do that for our Christmas uh, gifts. <laughs> Anyways, where, I love wear it. your seatbelt. Not the seatbelt part. That was yeah. bad. I didn't know about that. But the money ironing was great. Yeah, wear your seatbelt. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but like like in other words, like it it it's it was it was a really you know intense battle and fight that that in that moment really I think showed Rogers what was at stake maybe. Beyond just, oh, I got to take this this thing down. Yeah. And, and the sequence of it, you know, I, I alluded to it a little bit, but the sequencing of it is great in that it separates Steve from Bucky. Um, we have, and I'll go and say it because I, I wanted to highlight some of my favorite parts of this sequence itself. And I think it is the Natasha part of it. She is going head to head with the Winter Soldier without any help. And I mean, she's holding her own. Like, I will never not love that scene where she jumps off the highway, uses the grappling hook to swing over, running full speed, then notices the the shadow of the Winter Soldier and the the action stops and it's kind of like half a beat of silence and then you see the shot on the Winter Soldier's glasses because Natasha had like outwitted him in the positioning of herself where she just slowly walks out and shoots upwards like it is it is so cool. Like on top of everything that is happening narratively, it's just really, really cool and thrilling. Yeah. You know what I noticed that I never noticed before? What's that? The the little grappling hook thing that Black Widow used, Natasha, to do her little like acrobatic thing. Yeah. Was the same device Yelena used when when she was like, ah, oh, this is fun. And then like goes and jumps out the window in Hawkeye. That's awesome. Like I never noticed it before until this. Um, like I, well, like after seeing Hawkeye and going back, like I didn't notice it during Hawkeye, and I think that that was to me really. I don't know why that just didn't touch that. I love that consistency. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I think they did really well with this sequence was it came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like in the elevator, we talked about it. Like we all knew it was coming. You know, Cap was looking for a fight and wanted to beat up on some people. And he's like, hey, who wants to get out? Like, we, we all knew it was coming. Um, mm-hmm. Even with the Nick Fury thing, you knew it was coming, right? It was just like you had that tension, the way they built it, you know, and, and the police car surrounding them. This one, it was like they're driving down the highway and all of a sudden it was just like all hell broke loose. And 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 the because they did it that way, I think this whole sequence made it even that much more jarring. I mean, it's it's hard to get more jarring than going down the highway and having the door ripped out from the side. <laughs> right? It, I mean, it, it was an intentional choice. Like, they wanted the Winter Soldier to be an unstoppable force. Like, they are the incarnation of death. And, I mean, they do a wonderful job of, of creating that here in this action sequence. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap up Act 2. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move into the final act of this movie. Uh, this is going to take us from the moment that Maria Hill breaks out Sam, Steve, and Natasha uh, through to the end of the movie. So, starting with you this time, uh, where would you like to start within Act 3? I want to start I want to start here. Because, again, we got Act 3, Maria Hill, like you said, breaking them out. I'll be honest, first watch. I did not see that coming. <laughs> so that was a really cool surprising moment. You know, thinking back to the first watch, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. 
um, you know, you have the the moment. I, I I'm going to say this broadly. One of the things I really appreciate about this movie, and it's a criticism we've had of the Disney Plus shows, which is having the final action set piece that we know these movies have. And in Disney Plus shows, for some of them, it felt like, okay, we have to have this because it's we have to, you know? Um, where this didn't feel that way, right? Like, like in any movie, you know it's coming, but you know they do it well when it gets there and it feels natural. It doesn't feel, like, obligatory. And this definitely didn't feel that way. Like, it's you still felt the stakes of what's going on. You still felt, man, how is basically the three of them, Maria Hill, sorry, the four of them, because, you know, Fury was useless at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I said that just for Dick Sandy. Uh, but, but, you know what I mean? Like, like going up against all of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and so you did have this sense of going in of like, okay, I know this is going to happen. I know it's going to be successful because i i'm familiar with movies but they did such a good job of 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 like how are they going to get out of this and that's what you want from these movies we know more often than not the and the protagonists are going to win like that is just the structure of the movies that we are used to but good writing is being able to make you believe they can fail and so i see what you mean like it is it is insurmountable odds that they have to go up through the entirety of S.H.I.E.L.D. to be able to, uh, you know, accomplish the goals that they have set forth. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a couple places I want to go to, but I'm going to start here because I do think there is some work on our part with with Nick Fury, at least for me. Uh, we did get called out by Nick Sandy about being a little too harsh on him. Uh, you know, you brought up the idea of, of how much has he really changed if he was still wanting to salvage shield here at the end. And I think one of the things that I wanted to kind of reset here is you mentioned the line security through might. That was the ideology. I think that Alexander Pierce had, and it is the same ideology that we compared to Nick Fury. And I think one of the things that I wanted to set up, uh, back then that I didn't get a chance to until now is yes, they are two sides of the same coin. They both share this idea of, I can't trust you with your own safety. So only I have the power to do this, to do what's right. The thing that I think separates them is whenever you hear Alexander Pierce really talk about it, about what they want to do, it's coming from this place of wanting to have offensive force. Like, they will be ready to attack. They will never be from behind. Whereas with Nick Fury, it is this feeling of wanting to protect. It's misguided. It's wrong. But ultimately, it is wanting to defend people. Um, so I think that that's a very important distinguishing factor between them because it gets you to this point where you're right. It is not great that Nick Fury was wanting to salvage S.H.I.E.L.D., but I think it also is showing the baton pass come to fruition in that it is Steve's decision of, no, you gave me this mission, it all goes. And I think that is evidence of 
again, to use this phrase, beacon of hope that is Steve Rogers and Captain America, the character, and the learning process for Nick Fury. Um, and I think if it would have been like an immediate switch on Nick Fury's part, I think that would be a little bit more disingenuous because I go back to what I said last week. Whenever you're dealing with extremes for so long to justify the ends, the extremes stop being surprising to you. And it's going to take time, I think, for Nick Fury to walk back from that path. But I, the fact that he can recognize the error of it, I think, speaks volume of who he is. And I think, again, it is the the strength of Captain America that it is compassion to the person that is what brings him back to the light. You know what's to me, and you say that, I don't know if we know that Fury's learned his lesson yet. <laughs> um and let's hope well and and I'm, and I'm saying that genuinely because at the end of far from home making sure we're clear that i'm talking about far from home not no way home far from home it gets real confusing it does um but the end of that the end tag we see nick fury in space we're assuming at that point it's sword i'm hoping it's sword because i don't want this sword treatment to be just what we got in WandaVision uh, because that would be problematic but if it is sword and they take some kind of and and you start to see this trend of some kind of line of like that's what he's doing with sword a similar thing with shield I don't think we could say that oh you've learned your lesson yet you just traded one agency for another one Um, yeah so so, and and that's going to be upon I think Sam Jackson as a, as an actor and caretaker of Fury and Feige and any of those writers to, to be aware of that, if, if that makes sense. So, so like, so like clearly in this movie, I think we could say he had to be taught a lesson because he's like, we're going to salvage it. And not only did he, but even Maria Hill was like, no, this has got to go caps. Right. Um, and, but I do wonder to what extent, I hope they don't, they undo that a little bit with S.W.O.R.D. You know, and, and if they do, I hope it's done, because I think it can be done if they do it right, you know, but just to automatically, like, go back to square one, you know, that, that doesn't work. You know, we talked about this a little bit whenever we covered Hawkeye in that asking the question, did they write themselves into a corner with having the baggage of Ronan and how they wanted to handle it within that series? It feels like this is another moment where they have written themselves into a corner. And I think it is a bit of a byproduct of it's been over 10 years. Like at a certain point, some things are going to get strained or tested just because I don't think anybody has that level of foresight to write that tightly of a narrative, but it is when you zoom out and see where these characters are now while we talk about this movie then, it is a little dubious that he went from <laughs> one organization to the next, assuming that that's what he's doing at the the end credit scene of Far From Home. Because uh, all we saw was him in space with different scrolls. Um, and I think we kind of got the illusion at the end of WandaVision, like Rambo was going to meet with Nick Fury. So, yeah. I, I think I think that's me clumsily trying to hold on to my point, but I think you're right. There there is some <laughs> jury left to uh, Nick Fury's defense. Yeah. yeah, and again, and I hope they don't they don't take away from it here. Right, and I'm not trying to be overly harsh, but like like there's and and that God, this is what makes it so difficult to do some of these reviews is you know we're looking at this movie 
but we know that that story carries on. It's not like we're doing Shang-Chi and, oh, what's going to happen next? And I hope they do that. We know what they're going to do next. Like, we, we've seen this and we've seen the direction it's going. And you don't, we love these characters and you don't want, you want to see the growth, not a backtrack and retread. Um, if, you know, if, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, so like I, I'm with you on, on here. Like he, to me, like he learned his lesson, um, you know, and that, in that kind of, that endorsement of what Cap's going to do, you know. Um, it's okay. So, yeah. so let me, let me jump back into there because I want to explore this a little bit more and I think about the hero's journey and the story circle. If Fury is playing the role of the mentor, right? Like typically the mentor passes on, we mentioned some kind of talisman, some kind of object to our hero that's on this journey. The hero goes to the belly of the beast. He has to return and show that they have learned and incorporated the mentor's lessons um, and utilize it and bring it back. In a weird way, because of the way it started with the mistrust, Fury is a mentor, but he's not. You know what I mean? He's definitely the the mentor-ish person that sends him on this quest. But you have this question, can I trust him or not? And here, though, the lesson learned that he brings back is one that has to as you said be taught to nick himself the mentor himself you know and he says well i guess you're calling the shots now cap um so that i I do find interesting in that in that dynamic and i wonder if that's what works on a subconscious level for this movie and that we're so used to that archetype that that you've laid out it's the story circle that the mentor passes on the knowledge to the protagonist mentor dies protagonist takes that knowledge Return having changed, not to go back down that road. But I wonder if on a subconscious level, what makes the surprise of Nick Fury actually being alive succeed and not just be like, oh, okay, you know, no one ever dies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the the revelation. No, the mentor needed to learn as well. And that is what makes it prominent that he's back and he's like, all right, we're going to continue where we left off. And, and Steve's like, no, you gave me this. This is what you have learned and what this is what I have learned and what I am here to teach you now kind of thing. So almost kind of an inversion of the archetype. Yeah. Yeah. I get excited. This is fun stuff for me to talk about like the story circle and the archetypes and yeah. And where we see those connections and where those little variations come from. Uh, Because if you don't have those variations, the, the variations are part of what gives us his originality uh variations um is part of i think in representation um you know and, and so seeing these variations gets me excited and and you know because because you because you make those small changes but they feel small but they're going to be significant to somebody else because they see it in, in through their own lens and and so i just and so like None of that has to do with Winter Soldier, but like you, what you said, like that's where my mind goes. And so, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I find it interesting. I mean, it is, I'll just say it. You were right. This definitely needed to be two yeah. parts because I don't think we would have the, the runway to be able to dig into these things that we clearly have a lot to talk about. Yeah. I, I just, so. I'm editing. That stays in. I was right. 
<laughs> All right. Well, if that's staying in, moving along. Uh, you know, one of the things I want to circle back on uh, before we get to the pretty much the the climax of this film is we get that flashback where we see how much Steve and Bucky were intertwined in their early lives. Uh, they do it in small ways and then in showing that Bucky was there for the, the death of Steve's parents and how Bucky's able to figure out where the hidden key is. A lot of great stuff. But the thing that stuck out to me this time, especially sitting down to take notes, is if the lesson that Steve Rogers is now broadcasting here at this part of the film is that trust and friendship, it makes it heartbreaking to go back all the way to that moment and realize it is Bucky who is the one that had instilled it in him. Because that is where we get the line, I'm with you to the end of the line, pal. And so... Not only does it work to to really hurt whenever we're seeing them fight towards the end of the movie, but it, it shows where that ingrained value came from. And the thing that I want to highlight as well before I throw it back to you is, again, we, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording about how Sam doesn't really get a lot until Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but he makes the most of what it is he has. This moment after the flashback scene where Steve is kind of standing out on that dam, I think, and and Sam comes up to him, Sam is iterating, Bucky's not the kind of person you save, he's the kind of person you put down. And I think there's many reasons why that is wonderful here in this movie, but I want to highlight the growth that Sam has from this moment where he honestly believes this to where he ends up in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where he is adamant about putting Carly down is not the answer. Like, I think that shows growth on his part that is uh, worth mentioning here. It's it's a bit of an echo where we can see that he learned it is possible to play towards the person and settling it in peaceful conflicts rather than just trying to push your way through uh, with Steve Rogers in this moment. Yeah. No, I love that connection because that is a very powerful line. I mean, the language, this is the person you put down. You know, it's very, it's not, this is the person, type of person you kill. This is not, this is your enemy. Like put down has that language of dehumanizing yeah you know it's like it's like what you do with a rabid animal or so to speak you know um so yeah and then to to go that then to where you end up with carly or even the two of them right you know like their own relationship and, and where they go and where they end up you know i wonder if, if, if part of that group therapy was like you know what i did tell cap one time you are the kind of person you put down like i wonder if that happened that would be you know because that is such a powerful way to put it, you know, such a dehumanizing way to put it and, and, and stuff. Um, so yeah, like it's, how trustworthy is Sam? <laughs> like if he didn't, if he didn't know and had to ask like, Hey, who's actually the bad guys? And, and Cap's like, dude, the one shooting at you. Like how much does he really know? <laughs> Oh man! Well, that went in a direction I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> oh man! So 
I think we're getting to the climax of this film, which is the final sequence where they have pushed back against Hydra and Steve has made the declaration that it is Alexander Pierce who is behind all the chaos that has ensued uh, in the previous day's uh, shuffle. And, you know, I, <laughs> I couldn't get out of this review without taking some time to talk about that Captain America speech that he gives. Uh, you know, to, to start with the quote, you know, he says, the price of freedom has always been high, but it's a price I'm willing to pay. And if I'm the only one, then so be it. But I'm willing to bet I'm not. And again, I, I've said it multiple times this episode, multiple times last episode. It is the inspiration to do better. And it is almost reminiscent of the Dark Knight. We've we've alluded to it many times of that boat experiment about like each boat has the trigger and it's the trust of each other not to push it. The thing that I like about this that feels like it goes a little bit further is because the infiltration of Hydra is a thing that is indistinguishable from each other. Like nobody knows who's on what side. The thing that I think is wonderful about this speech is that Captain America has equipped everybody with the chance to pick up that shield because even though they can't tell who is on what side of this this dilemma, the compass that they have is to do the right thing. And we see that in so many different cases. So, for example, you have the one where Rumlow is charging the, the, the guy at the computer and he stands his ground and that kicks off that whole shootout that happens there. Uh, you have the, um, the various different guards who are fighting against each other as they're trying to get to the, uh, the aircrafts and trying to stop them there. Like, it's just multiple situations where you don't really have a clearly defined idea of who is the quote-unquote bad guy, but the willingness of people to stand for what is right is just echoed through cap speech, and I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, the the part that I want to hone in right there, what you just said about not knowing who's wrong, right, good, bad, we get that in the standoff. You know, so so not only do we get that in the speech, but we get that physically in the standoff. Um and again, the Russo brothers and their knowledge of films, you, you know, reading, listening to the commentary, that standoff was broken. I'm, I'm forgetting now who did it, but like something dropped and fell on the floor. And so there was like this silence and then this all of a sudden this crash, you know, and then that's kind of what kicked off the action and, and it broke that tension. And that was an homage to um, William Friedkin's The Exorcist. And the use of, I think it was a telephone ring to break this tension or, or something like that. But like their, again, their knowledge of, of, of film and being able to say like, oh, how do I break tension? Oh, this is how they did it. And that was, that was there. And so I'm going to intentionally do that. Um, that's where, again, not, I don't want to get sidetracked, but that's where I just really makes me angry when I hear the whole, this is not cinema <laughs> things, because, because I, I listen to that commentary and think about the thoughtfulness behind it, the understanding of film history, the, un the understanding of wanting to tell a story. And it's just like, no, there is a craft to it as well. Y you know what I mean? That, that they're clearly displaying, you know, as, as filmmakers. So and I think one of the other arguments, too, is like, you know, movies are supposed to move people and make them feel things. Have you not been listening to me for the last two hours? 
Yeah. Like, it, and they do. Like, they do make you, you know, move and feel things. Do we have to all feel the same thing? No. Are we going to all feel the same thing? No. Right. Um, you know, the... But that's fine, you know, and and so yeah, so like that's that was something else that stuck out when you mentioned that is like that moment and and that was in something from when I watched and listened to the commentary, God, when the DVD first came out years ago, um, that moment of just like, oh man, that is just a clever way of like, you know, as a filmmaker, I get this script, you have Cap's speech, you get this tension, and you build up to this moment, okay, but what breaks it who makes the first move you know um you know and it was a clever way to to do that and you know and i talked about again the way that the compass that people have within this final sequence is to do the right thing it speaks volumes about natasha and we get the closure of her of her story here you know again i i started this half of the podcast by saying this is just as much her story as it is uh steve rogers and that moment that she's able to get to like the declaration of i don't care about obfuscating who i am to self for self-preservation she is going to dump out everything on the internet so that it is laid bare for everybody to to have eyes on both the good and bad and the fact that she's at a point where she can comfortably do that because she knows it's the right thing and the step towards building a more honest relationship with anyone like abroad being able to build honest relationships i think is huge for her development within this movie yeah because like Pierce was the one that said it. Are you ready for the world to see all your secrets or to see who you really are? And without hesitation, she's like, are you, you know? Um, and which, which I love because it, it's, it's a moment of full agency on her part of doing this. Uh, she understands the ramifications, you know, and, and wasn't, you know, there was a kind of a passive aggressive, thing on on pierce's part like because it wasn't very violent it was just are you ready for this are you sure kind of you know this implanting of doubt and it's like no i got this you know um (laughs) bring it on so so yeah i i I loved you know that element of that that story and how cool is it that moment where they're able to work in the the face swap of you think it's one of the uh global defense council and then you have that revelation no it's natasha that moment i'll never forget in the theater was just like whoa and then it's just i don't know this movie continues believe it or not i am holding back from just gushing (laughs) 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 i'm trying to make it pertinent and not just be like oh that's so cool but it slips out every now and then no it's it's a it's a movie worth gushing over Mm -hmm. okay trey the last thing notes wise that that I have, and I want to make sure I I say, a friend of mine actually, you know, responded when we put out the call of like, hey, what are what are the things that that come out, uh, or that, that stand out to you? Um, and the response was, you know, from a friend, Father David Lugo, SJ, a Jesuit, said he drops the shield. A true hero knows when to stop fighting. So, just a quick context. So for him. Uh, we worked together briefly for three years, and that's just part of the Jesuit Society of Jesus formation, where 
they go to to a, one of their schools, a Jesuit school, and work for three years, and then and then move on. And so he was there during that time of Age of Ultron coming out, and we saw Doctor Strange. Uh, I almost said the Multiverse of Madness, but Doctor Strange come out, you know, at the same at the same time and stuff. And we would have all these conversations, and one of the things that we kept circling back to with this movie. And just media in, in this genre in general is that so often see this redemption of our characters and the in this finality of this hero's journey and cycle end in violence. And some of the, the, the shows that most stick with us, this one, Return of the Jedi comes to mind, is when they they drop the lightsaber, right? He's, he's like, I, I the, the right thing to do is to not fight and in this in this this thing of like i know you don't recognize me in that that exact moment but i recognize you i know who you are and i'm not gonna fight you and and, and lays down that that shield um which also ends what you were talking about in, in my my head that that the shield is its own character right and ends that that arc of like the, you know, of what the shield stands for and what it doesn't and the ability to drop the shield when you should, you know, um, and actually kind of alluding to John Walker that we'll get years later. Um, so yeah, so like that moment, you know, and we actually, the Russo brothers did it the same, a very similar thing and this whole getting away from redemptive violence, uh, trope or motif in, in civil war as well. I'll save that thought for when we do Civil War, but, but yeah, it's you know, and I love that that was his response, and because because we talked about it a lot, you know, when when we, not that we, we still talk, but like when it was like day to day, you know, working together, talking, and, and that was just you know a fabulous moment in this in this film. Yeah, I, I think one. I mean, it makes sense why they pick pick this scene as one of the first memorable because it is such a huge moment. And it is the encapsulation, I think, of everything Steve has learned up to this point. And because we have the benefit of hindsight now, we know it is the start of what he gets to by the end of Civil War when he says, I put my faith in people. Uh, I think the thing that makes this moment special is he has the mission he knows he needs to do with those drives that he's putting in so that it can rewrite the project insight files so that it takes out the ships and not the people. So in that moment, that is the most important thing because that is how he's going to save the most amount of people. At the same time, he has Bucky who is adamant about stopping Steve. And when the answer in front of Steve is to, to put him down, as Sam says, he continues to not fall into that trap and even after finishing the original mission that putting down the shield that is the lesson i think he was trying to instill to nick fury in that moment when they're talking about like hey i, I looked at those ssr files like you you guys did some pretty messed up stuff i mentioned there comes a point where you have to put the weapon down and i think the the moment here is, is signifying that people can never come before, can never come after the mission. Uh, yeah. If that makes sense, like that is what what Steve has realized. It's like it is not 
these institutions that I have to blindly follow. It is the trust in each other. And even and like you said, even though Bucky doesn't recognize him, Steve does. And so that is the 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 grace he's extending to Bucky to help put him back on the path to redemption and and outside of this mindlessness that he has unfortunately found himself uh, uh, warped into. Yeah, like the, yeah, I love it. There's that whole recognition of this other person's humanity. This this I see you. I I recognize you. You are not my enemy. I'm not gonna fight you. Like it, it, it's just beautiful. And the way it transitions to where you can see how it starts, like this is the mission for Bucky. But by the end, where he is like, I'm with you to the end of the line, Bucky's screaming at him. He's like, no, you don't. Like he just like, he cannot rectify why this person won't put up a fight. And that is single-handedly erasing or chipping away, I should say, because we're not completely there yet, chipping away at the programming that he's been given his entire life, where you could even flash back to that moment where he meets with Alexander Pierce and he's talking about like that man, he knew me. He said he recognized me. Bucky is appealing to humanity and to friendship and Pierce's answer is to just rewrite it. And so the fact that we come back to this moment and Steve is like, no, I, I'm going to treat you as a person. It just, it's so good. Well, and, and Bucky in winter soldier mode, the only language he knows is violence. You know, and, and, and it just doesn't register. It doesn't compute of how somebody or why somebody wouldn't fight. And I mean, look what he ends up ultimately doing. He saves Steve. Like, I think that was something that stood out to me in the director's commentary where they said, you know, here we are again. Steve Rogers has given his life to the thing that he believes in. And were it not for Bucky, he would have died. And so in a sense, Steve loses but it is because of the slow lesson he has taught bucky he's actually saved himself and through bucky if that makes sense i don't want to take away from the change in bucky but it's like to show you that captain america effect the inspiration it's just i love yeah. it oh yeah oh man well it took two parts but i think we did it man i don't know i'm not happy with our work let's do it again uh no. <laughs> All right, we'll start over. Believe it or not, and and this isn't like a, a complainery thing. I still feel like there are things we could have said. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. This like uh-huh. this is and could have been worthy of a third episode. But no, I am I am truly pleased with our, with our coverage, and I'm I'm excited to hear what y'all think. Well, I'll tell you what. We can transition here to, again, we said it last week, uh, we're going to finish off some of the ones we didn't get to interject as we were discussing, but we put it out on social media. Uh, What is the scene that sticks out to you when you think about the Winter Soldier? Uh, And here are some of the responses we had. So the first one uh, comes in from TK on Instagram. There was an idea. Uh, Quote, so many, but I love Cap and Nat undercover at the mall. Quote, unquote specimen and on a serious note the price of freedom is high speech and it makes sense that that would be the one that is tk serious one as much as they are a fan of captain america as i am i that that scene is just a perfect captain america scene absolutely uh capturing life on insta or instagram depending on your age bracket apparently uh he actually said too we mentioned one in episode already the elevator fight but the other is the street fight with bucky uh which 
it's, it's such a great choice. Although you didn't get specific. There was two street fights with Bucky, so I'm assuming I'm gonna go with the second one. I'm assuming you're me with 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 Cap. Okay. I'm assuming the second one too. <laughs> you can let us know, Sean. Uh, the next one uh, comes in from Nick Sandy on Instagram, and it says, "When Thanos says you should have gone for the head after Cap smashes Thanos's toe with a shield, so dope." No, but that scene where the mask falls off and Steve notices it's Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Sandy keeping us uh, on our toes. <laughs> I would love to see that somewhere in like one of those how it should have ended videos. Uh, <laughs> uh, Marvel with Rid on Instagram. Oddly, Nick Fury talking about his grandfather, I believe, is what comes to mind. You know what? I It's interesting. You say oddly, but there is an element of um, we don't get a lot of Nick Fury the human side of him. And, and there, there is in the MCU, that's the first entry of him telling this story. So yeah, like I, I get it. I get why that would, you know, it's a powerful scene. Yeah. This one comes in from fashion Jimmy on Twitter. And it says, this is my favorite MCU movie opening scene, the ship fury versus the quote unquote cops. But the one that gets me every time is when Steve goes to see Peggy and they have a conversation then her mind slips and she sees him again for the quote unquote first time since World War II. The pain in Steve's eyes. Uh, and I have to agree with Jimmy. Uh, I don't think it's a scene we really honed in on that much outside of alluding to it in other cases, but it really is a truly powerful scene that one of the last remaining threads of connectivity that Steve Rogers has is uh, unfortunately not present in a way. And that's it's echoing with the themes that I think he's wrestling. Oh with. yeah. Uh, Mr. Melt on Twitter, freeway fight scene. This is by far the best choreography to date in the MCU. Um, Trey, did you want to dispute that with Shang-Chi? <laughs> oh no. So sorry, Mr. Melt. I, I am not messing with you. I'm more messing with Trey and his competing loves of Shang-Chi and Captain America, the winter soldier. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Listen, we'll have to save it for whenever we do an episode on the best fight scenes right? in the MCU. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm with him, especially <laughs> if like you do see some of these behind the scenes that um, you don't even have to have the DVD, Barriers of Entry. You can find it on YouTube. Where Sebastian Stan was just that cool knife flip. Like he was just walking around practicing that. Like I got to get this down and practicing that. And it, and it was the, the choreography because we talked about this. It, it was personal, it was intense. Uh, you break that moment of, oh, you know, this is a person. So, yeah, like 100% with you. Mm -hmm. And finally, and so perfectly poetic that this is the one we end on. Uh, it comes from friend Daniel on Twitter in the form of a gif, which is the on your left scene at the beginning of the movie. And I'm glad it is the one we're ending on here mm -hmm. at the end. Uh, what a great way to bring yeah. that back. Oh, yeah. Of course, those are the reactions we had from the listeners. So if you want to get in on that, you should definitely make sure to be following us uh, at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, I think that's going to do it. Any final thoughts here on the way out? Thank you for joining us on our first two-parter. Um, for both of us, there was some reservation on breaking this up into two parts. Just, you know, full honesty with, with people. But... Uh, it was fun, and I'm glad we gave it. I think we gave this film the a treatment that it um, 
It might not have been in the podcast they needed, but it is the podcast they deserve. Or what? How does that link up? No. Uh, but, but no, like I. <laughs> it all comes back to Nolan. Uh, I do appreciate the you know indulging us in in doing the two parter. You know. So yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. And and I'll extend that thanks to you, Jude, uh, because if listeners are following us on social media, you will see we put up the behind the scenes conversation where we debated whether or not to do it. And this is without a doubt your idea. And it was the right one. So I want to make sure just in case the other one doesn't make it in the edit. Thank you. Uh, no. This this made me rediscover a love for this movie. I haven't felt in a really long time. That's awesome. Uh, and of course, you want to get more of those behind the scenes snippets that we try to get out for you. Make sure, as Trey said, you're following us on social media and join the Discord. Um, you know, and you truly be behind the scenes and interact with us, friend Daniel. Sean for the Caption Life jumps in every once in a while. Ellie from Oshu Podcast jumps in every once in a while. Um, gosh, TK, you know, will every once in a while jump in and a number of other people we listen to. And it's, it's just a fabulous community. Uh, for all the Marvel stuff, make sure you click on the roll sign, click on the eye emojis. Um, and again, as, as we talk about it as a community, share with friends. Like, you know, it's it's wonderful to that we have this outlet to, to listen, but we definitely want to, you know, uh, have a, that conversation because we truly love this stuff. Yeah. And of course, we'd like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Jude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Boom, that's an episode. Okay, you said such a sentimental thing on like the on your left with friend Daniel. And the first thing that came to mind, and I don't remember, I got to find it, but there was some meme, you know, of drawing meme or whatever of like Sam, like that moment right before he showed up in Endgame where he's like telling Doctor Strange, he's like, no, no. I, I sent that to you. Uh, is that you, the cinema? He's like, no, no, I have to be on the left. I have to yeah. be on the left. <laughs> Make sure it is yeah. on his left. <laughs> so like, like, and finally, you know, and there's a sentimental tone in your voice and all I could think about was that. It was like, Sam, like, no, no, it has to be the left. It has to be the left. <laughs> oh man. I got to make sure to put that in the show notes if this ends up making the cut of the episode. <laughs>